Thank you so much for tuning in to She's All Over the Place with Kiriaki. That's me. Thank you for joining me. I am so happy to have Brad Greenhalge on today. He's a U.S.-based audio pioneer, and he's best known for bringing location recording techniques from his indie film background to the production of immersive audio movies. He's head of audio production at Realm, overseeing their original scripted fiction programming, 20-plus shows a year. Whoa, that's a lot. And production services. And his newest project, Harley Quinn, Sound Mind for Spotify. Also, I had the pleasure of working with Fred on Undertow Blood Forest. We're going to get into it right now with Fred. Thanks for joining me. How are you, Fred? Hey, thank you. I am doing great. I am so happy to be here. What a treat. Yeah, seriously. Thank you so much for making the time. Audio storytelling, acting for audio, and how it differs from other formats. Let's jump right into that. So, well, first of all, before we jump into any of that, where are you from and how did you end up in Maine? Oh my goodness. Okay, yes. I am a tried and true Mainer. Uh, I'll share this funny story. So, my family goes back in Maine for a long time. My grandfather's generation, uh, he left Maine. Uh, you know, he was in World War II, got off the farm, post-World War II, got a GI Bill, lived on Long Island, was an executive, worked in Manhattan. Uh, my mom, child of the, of the 60s, like, I want to go back to the land and came back to Maine, you know, did a whole back the land thing on our uh, family farm in Maine. And so I'm of that generation of like, it's amazing how like in my grandfather's generation was like, get off the farm. And then she's like, go back to the farm. And I kind of get to feel like I'm in both these worlds where uh, what I do today, I can, I literally live off the grid with my goats and my solar panels, but I get to work. Uh, I literally, you know, Realm is actually based in, in Manhattan, crazily within two blocks of where my grandfather's office was. And I get to be in both worlds. And so there was, there was a time just, just 50, 60 years ago where you had to make a really binary choice of do I live in an urban environment or do I live in a rural environment in order and, and how do I pursue an artistic career? And now you get to have it all. I have the best of both worlds. Yeah, that's so cool. And, you know, we worked on Undertow Blood Forest, which takes place in Maine. And when we were having sessions together, it was pretty on par. There was only one thing where there was like one altercation, but otherwise the technology was pretty seamless. And the one thing that did happen, it was just kind of with Angelo, it was just like a haha, we kind of like laughed about it and it was just a great way to have a bathroom break or like have some water but yeah it's it's pretty uh efficient with the technology yeah every now and again gremlins crawl into the internet pipelines and eat the little gophers that move the digital particles around but <laughs> other than that we're, we're good uh yeah now the internet is such a game changer in terms of like access to everything and uh yeah like people go around and look at the internet and they see all the you know there's definitely negative attributes to you know culture and social media but you also see people who are able to learn things and learn from things and collaborate with people that never would have been possible before this technology so you know i'm, I'm just a generally positive optimistic person so i say let's look at you know it's a tool like all, all tools have positive and negative so let's let's go use these tools to our advantage and do cool things yeah and so when did you start utilizing these tools and become an audio producer and an engineer? Like, I mean, how did you segue into this field? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, it took me a bit to find my path in college. I, I knew I, since I was a kid, I wanted to be a writer. I wrote, uh, you know, stories since I was young. Uh, I didn't really realize how much audio had impacted my life. Like I, I lived at our family farmhouse was definitely haunted. So I, 
uh, things like the creaking stairs and, and windows that blew with cold winter wind through the night, all that stuff like printed on me, but I didn't quite realize uh, how much I could use it artistically until many years later. So my path in college took me to New Orleans where I studied film. And I actually, I probably would have stayed there longer, but Hurricane Katrina had other ideas. So I kind of came home to Maine and uh, decided to finish my degree at my original school, uh, USM, the University of Southern Maine. As I was sort of readjusting to Maine and having left New Orleans, which at the time had a ton of uh, film film happening. And I, I had like discovered the sound department sort of by accident down there. I, like I, they were like, they had a thing where as a student intern, you could just like go to a film set. And I ended up with the sound department and like run around the French quarter with a boom pole. And I was like, this is fun. You know, so I'm back in Maine. I'm in my twenties. I'm trying to figure out how to make stuff. There really isn't much of a real film industry in Maine, so to speak. And, and one of my college buddies, like, have you ever heard of these old time radio dramas? And I'm like an old time, what? And he gave me, uh, <gasps> tapes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I could like what a how old school is that but I got these tapes of old time radio dramas and like the flash the shadow knows and I was like this is good stuff like what is this like th- it totally blew my mind it was like ha- going through your whole life not knowing that fil- that movies existed and then one day there's movies and so that was like a light bulb moment and from that moment on uh, I took like short stories I had written. I took a oral interpretation school through the theater department and my dorm was based with where all the theater nerds were. So I would ho- put posters up that said, you know, come act for, and I'll feed you mac and cheese. And boy, did actors show up wow. <laughs> for, for their free pasta in college. Ah. Uh, and so the first, first, first shows I got were on the, like the campus radio station and you know, just bringing people in on a Friday night and, you know, acting. And, and then I started figuring out how to put sound effects like through the board at the radio station. And then the one thing led to another. I met this guy in Ireland. Uh, his name's Roger Gregg. He said, well, dude, you told me you were working on film projects. Have you ever thought about making one of these radio plays like you would a film? I'm like, oh, oh. Boom, another light bulb went off. And that's when I started bringing actors physically out on location and taking them like out literally out into the woods or out to a beach or uh, if a scene took place in a car, uh, like we'd have the actors in a car and open the door and come out. I'd follow them around with a a microphone, uh, that, that sort of thing. And uh, obviously, by the time our paths crossed on Blood Forest, uh, the world, there's this thing called COVID that made it so you couldn't do it the way that I was doing it back in those days. But that's all still part of my DNA, this idea that trying to make it just make it sound real uh, and, and not sort of, you know, too much like a cartoon, but like like these are real people living real stories. And that's what I'm trying to capture in audio. Yeah. And I, this is kind of off the cusp, but I remember like a while ago, someone showed me like this thing on like Google or an app. If you want sounds under a bridge and, and they're like free, but people have actually gone and did like audio with of rain or kids playing and like you can like royalty free or you pay a, a fee or something like app or website and you can actually download those sounds if you can't actually go on location to do it so did you experience doing any of those things do you know what i'm talking about yeah well the, there's a uh, lots of different layers to it because there are if you just are someone who's like, I need some peace right now. I want to listen to a river. There's all sorts of like ambient, just sort of like peace type sounds and or just other, or if you want urban sounds, all that's out there. And yeah, people who get nerdy about sound effects can collect them and sell them and, and they get used by sound designers in a variety of fields. I was always interested in collecting my own to as much as possible. And I think that's where 
I, you know, alluding to earlier about my childhood and growing up in a, a creaky house, yeah. like learning to use your ears creatively is like its own muscle. And like I, my first radio play was set in New Orleans and I, it occurred to me, this is like the moment where I really realized how much I love this medium was that I, I could conjure the French quarter. So like as a writer, a prose writer, I, I just, I wasn't great at like a paragraph of like, how would you create this French quarter and like flowery text and all the setup you'd need. But in audio, uh, you have a little like clip, clop clip, clop of some horses. You have a little uh, trumpet in the background. Burp, 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 burp. And then maybe like the sound of a beer bottle rolling on the sidewalk uh, with some voices in the background and boom, we're there. Uh, and that that's you know, no set, no prose, like just four sound effects. Uh, so I just was obsessed with capturing my own whenever possible because I was very particular. I realized I could see these pictures in my mind. And so I definitely use, uh, you know, sound effects other people have recorded. There's, you know, like, I'm, uh, you know, if I've got a helicopter, I, I don't fly helicopters around too much, you know, explosions, that sort of thing. But when possible, I do really, I'm very particular about uh, what kind of ambiences. And, and as an example in Blood Force, that happened a lot where, my sound designer has learned if he puts like a bird that doesn't live in Maine in one of my shows, I'm going to like blow a gasket because it's like to me, that's something that we're like one out of a million listeners maybe really would know that uh, this type of uh, bird doesn't live in New England. But for me, like this is this is all it. This is this is your production design. This is your costume. This is everything in audio play. So uh and like little details can add a lot. Like, oh, let's have a, a little bit of a barred owl call here or add some crickets uh, or, or spring peepers here. Because spring peepers, the person who's listening to it will not on a conscious level understand. But what we're saying is we're saying it's a time of year. We're saying it's a certain location. All that goes into the thought process. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of thought process, I thought it before and I didn't say it, but since we circled back around, it reminded me of like my grandma, my granny Dale's house when I was a kid. And yeah, how you hear certain sounds and things and how then those intricate details, you don't know at the time when you're a kid or when things are happening, but you can shape shift that and you can put it into the power and have it be advantageous for your craft as an artist or in life. One, for it to not have power and scare you, you could take that thing that creeped you on and be like, oh, that's sensorily like kind to creep me out that's kind of a weird thing and it's audio and I'm sensitive to it I can lift and pivot and shift and put that into the work and have that finite detail of it and that's your craft and your gift so someone tuning in and listening or watching they could apply that same principle to whatever it is that they had when they were growing up mm -hmm. something they don't know it's a skill set like you were aware of it but someone who's not could take something like that and say hey like what's in my arsenal or what's in you know what's in my my toolbox where they too could pivot and shift shift. And instead of it being like a weird thing that happened when I grew up, it could actually be something that they could align with their craft or something that they're doing for the near future. That's kind of really cool. Yeah, I, I think like the, the skill of listening is just really wonderful. Uh, and, you know, we're a culture that is has so much visual information all the time that it's nice to sort of like, uh, you know, close your eyes and can you see you know, with your mind's eye. And yeah, and if there are sounds that scare you, can you like recapture them and have power over them again? That, you know, that's certainly for me, there's, you know, all the scary things I'm writing are all, they're all scratching at something. Uh <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So let's pivot into, okay, Maine, um, Undertow, Blood Forest took place in Maine, but there's different elements to what you're doing with the Blood Forest. So how did that come about? And like explain Undertow and then Blood Forest. 
Sure. So, you know, growing up in Maine, especially the part of Maine I'm, I'm from, like central Maine, Bangor, Old Town, Orono area is like Stephen King country. Uh, and like this may sound silly, but he's almost like a patron saint. Like he's just sort of like such a hometown hero. Uh, in fact, I'm like old enough that like I went trick or treating in his house back when he still was able to do that and not have it be totally bonkers. And so I always looked up to him. I definitely had a I was a latchkey kid around third grade. My mom worked nights. There was a bookkeeper who had all the you know the typical of the time late 90s bookshop full of Stephen King paperback novels and he thought it was the funniest thing to get whatever 10ish year old kid reading Stephen King books so i remember Cujo uh, uh and a book was so terrifying but i like couldn't put it down and so it's sort of like do you just get hooked i don't know you just get hooked on that feeling and so part of it for me is like how do i create it's a strange feeling because like that does not everybody likes being scared. And I totally get it if like horror is not for you. But for me, it's like, how can I create for someone else the power this book had over me to scare the living daylights out of me, yet I could not put it down. And so that's that's sort of that part of the story. So, you know, you see that kind of taste and a lot of the things I do, at least in the horror space. And yeah, Undertow generally is a, it's, it's a weekly podcast. It's hosted by me. It's scary-ish stories, varying degrees of scary. And so Undertow was the second season of it. Uh, now we've moved on to a different project called Dark Tome. Blood Forest, I wanted to do a werewolf thing for a lot of years. I thought werewolves were really interesting in audio. And I had an idea that originally was like a 90-minute screenplay. And if I told you the premise, it would spoil the show. So I can't talk about it. But it was basically like a twist on a, on a werewolf show of like, it's a werewolf show, but X. And that worked for like a 90-minute horror movie concept, but you can't sustain that for like a 10-episode series. So to make Blood Forest, we had to take sort of the core idea and turn it into, and just build out the town. And so the character that you played and all her friends all became this much bigger story that is as much about the community and it has werewolves in it, but like you could take out the werewolves and a lot of the story would still work because it's really about, you know, it's just a lot of like kind of normal working class people in a town where there are things that are nice about it, things that are not nice about it, trying to figure out how to survive with werewolves in the mix. Uh, so yeah. that's, that's the kind of horror I like. I think that is the one thing I really got from Stephen King was a sense of uh, relatable characters in crazy situations. Yeah, and it was released around Halloween. So yeah. the werewolves, it was really in alignment apropos of you know the vibes i love how it was released once a week i really like that now you know you can binge and hear all of them which is i like that too but i, I loved how it came out around halloween i mean the ladies who cast it legendary yeah casting directors females in hollywood they cast tv shows and films so i mean that's that's really cool how like you have these network tv shows and then these films that are on screen and how big and massive these audio dramas and just these audio um, scripted. It's like, like you said, you close your eyes and what can you imagine? And instead of visually seeing a TV screen, you're literally just closing your eyes. I love just putting the lights down and then just using, because mm. the mind, it fills up the rest. You don't have to feed and tell the audience. They'll fill in the space. Yeah. They'll fill in the XYZ dots. You want to, as a director, maybe talk about that aspect of it for you? Yeah, well, there's definitely an aspect of the the old sort of creative adage of like less is more. 
and yeah, letting like what you just said was really nice. Uh, letting the mind fill in the dots. So uh, you know, we find in like audio horror that it, you can't really have a jump scare because you can't really do that trick of like boo. It, it, like you're like I don't, it doesn't really work in audio. And so what we do instead, uh, at least the philosophy in Blood Forest, was to try and get some characters who the audience would care about, and then put them through the ringer and put them in a universe where you knew was very dangerous people could die but you're not quite sure where the threat is and so you basically as a listener you're like oh my goodness i'm so invested in all these people but what is going to happen to them and what's going to hurt them and where is it going to come from and so that's where the that's where the horror comes from and it's and a lot of the things are very real uh there are there are actual werewolves in it that's not much of a spoiler you learn that pretty soon in the show but there's also bad stuff that happens that is not werewolf related and some of that stuff can be just as terrifying as the werewolves and that's also kind of part of what i'm my statement as a creator but yeah it's a lot of just making sure you have the discipline to say when is less more when is more more and how to like peel back layers because yeah there's another not to keep going back to stephen king but he had a, he's a great quote on writing for audio and one of his on writing books that's like uh about how effective the old-time radio plays were because you could never see the monster and so the kind of philosophy is like when you're watching like a horror movie you're like there's like this whole part of the movie where you're like there's the monster there's a monster but he's they're always like just outside just to the edge of the camera you can't quite see it and at some point you see the monster and no matter how good the like special effects are you're like oh okay it's the monster i can like wrap my head around it and mentally kind of put it in a box but in audio you never do that so the monster you know if whatever you're seeing in your mind you can never like rationalize it away so you're you're actually you know you're doing something somewhat devilish as a director and like pray you know kind of using those like real like lizard brain survival instincts and manipulating them to have a horror experience and yeah i mean there's something called the lizard brain yeah there's like different parts of the brain and there's a one called the lizard brain yeah no, that's what you're doing you're trying to make someone think that a, a monster you know a, a lion or a bear or something is trying to eat them yeah. uh yeah, we should have a neuroscientist on next time, like dissecting these elements for us. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot of tricks you do. So the like I was trained in some of the like audio engineering, there's like various psychoacoustic effects that you play with, like a sound sounds louder if there's quiet sounds before it. Uh, and there's there's things you do like that where you uh, if you know something big's going to happen, you do a lot of effort to like slowly build it. And, and so that when you really get to that big, like, Rah, the monster jumps you yeah. you've uh you've built up tension by being uh, disciplined up until that point so th there's a lot of psychology that go as well as a craft that goes into do these things yeah yeah and when you were in school did they teach you that about sound and frequency and how we hear things the decibels in the ears yeah i mean the you know i didn't had trained for like audio drama or podcasting like that just didn't exist as a thing uh oh. back in the early 2000s but i did you know when i would go to like music engineering that's something that you know people who make records know because uh there was a fabulous podcast i listened to i'll, I'll forget the name of it but they were talking about like why do you like feel a certain way in your heart of certain like chord changes or certain moments in music? And it was all about how, especially when music sort of goes to where you think it's going and then it does something unexpected when you think it, you know, a chord is going to resolve in a certain way. And when it sort of changes it, like that's the thing that starts making you like you're, you, you get goosebumps or like 
something swells inside of you. Uh, so you do you do things like that of thinking about yeah, what is like the psychology of the listening experience? Like because because this is all true. This is all stuff that scientists study. Is like how do sound patterns affect the brain and how do you use? And yeah, people who make music know all about this. Uh, yeah. you know, there's there's a reason that certain popular songs are so enduring or, you know, to stand the test of time. Yeah. And then like same with like, you know, sound frequencies, people who are are into like sound bowls, healing frequencies, attuning to certain levels. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of pivot and shift into uh, acting for audio. I have a lot of uh, voiceover actors, actors, just people who are really interested in acting overall, the process. So it's so interesting. How is acting for audio different than any other format let's dive into that Ooh, big question so on some level it isn't what i seek as a director is authenticity and trying to feel a moment so it took me a long time to be able to really to understand that this is what i was going for because i think earlier on in careers maybe not all directors but certainly for me you have something you hear in your head and you try to tell people what you want in your head and you try to get them to do that. And like, that's not a way to get it. And then what I realized and, and having trained under under really seasoned radio drama directors that you need to have the performer find their own path to the moment that you want. And so it's, you know, being able to communicate sort of like, what is the human truth of what's happening here in this show? And so uh, if you can just have all the skills that an actor needs in any medium of just sort of empathy of like really understanding the material, having the sense of both like courage and vulnerability to like go there. Um, that's the most important stuff. And I, I think for me as a director, a casting is really important, making sure you have the right people, which is not, it, it is obviously the, all the skills. But there's also like a kind of like a vibe um, of person that's it's a little hard to articulate, but I'm like, if I, if I do a good job creating the like parameters for people feel safe they feel like they trust me that they can like try stuff and that you know it's not a it's a judgment free area because like you can tell when actors like hold back or like are are acting like the best acting is like in the scene yeah you, you want them to you just want it to feel like this is life and that these people are these characters and that you're experiencing like you're experiencing a true human moment it happens to be recorded by audio equipment so that so then you kind of go into that part of it of like okay well that's great, Fred, but like, how do you actually make it as a voice a- actor? Uh, you know, on some level, it's a lot like film acting in the sense that like, you do want to kind of that, again, that more grounded naturalistic performance. Uh, you know, theater acting can be a challenge because uh, you know, if you're used to like projecting to like the, the hundredth row, you have to really pull it back. Uh, and even people who do a lot of- Or if you're just a loud person. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> sure. Uh, or and, and even compared to like a lot of how video games, I, I get the sense and animations are done. Like sometimes you have producers who are like, okay, you're this character. Give me like five versions of this line. Okay, now five versions of this line, five versions of that line. And that's not really what I'm doing. I'm trying to, I want to have a conversation with you about what the character is, what the character's motivations are. Put the actors, um, like when you worked with me in a virtual, virtual room together yeah. to to find the scene. And yeah, you, you have to, I think the film and TV actors, the challenge is they're used to all the stuff that you convey with your face and gestures and like yeah. little twitches you can't get away with. So you have to find, how do I like convey my voice, like a certain, like an uncertainty or like all this, all this like broodiness that might, I might do on camera. So 
Yeah, it's tricky because it's a lot of like uh, finding interesting ways to deliver the lines and to own them and to be naturalistic, but also, I don't know, find 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 ways to bring what's on the page to life uh, in ways that surprise everybody, including yourself sometimes. So I have a couple like nerdy, technical, small questions that I th- yeah. know from like an actor's perspective that are just like interesting, if I may. Mm-hmm. So sometimes now, no slating, no slating, no slating at the beginning of the name. Before they're like, when you slate, it's like a handshake. Hi, mm. I'm Katie Chinakis. Hi, I'm Katie Chinakis. Or it's like it's like giving a handshake. Are you into when you're about to hear a read and you're listening to um, voiceover actors? Do you like or not like, or do you not prefer? Like, what's the vibe for you of hearing a slate? Fascinating. I mean, I think hopefully your the casting call tells you which way to go. What's helpful is knowing what kind of equipment you're running. So that's usually what is asked for when you see like a Realm casting call go out because it's just sort of like often, um, you know, it depends. There's there's shows where it's like you really kind of need to have a, a remote kit to, is what we're looking for. And other times we're like, if you have a remote kit, great, but we do have the option to bring someone in the studio. But knowing knowing the factual information of do you have a recorder and what kind of recorder you have is useful. It is I that's none of that is nearly as important as is getting is getting the read, you know, and and there are definitely times where there's performers who have like all the fancy gear and they're just not the right person for the character. And it's not like they're not amazingly talented. It's just there was something that someone who like recorded on their iPhone was like, oh, they did something that like me as the director, me as a writer, the person who was so close to the material didn't even think was in here, this other person found. So I, yeah, it's it's uh, it's hard. I don't think there's like any right way to audition. I, I To me, I have deep empathy for actors because it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard. It truly is. Uh, thank you. And I'm saying thank you for everyone, <laughs> you know, who empathizes with what you, the acknowledgement of what you just said. Quick, funny story. One time I was at in the Ralph's parking lot in Los Angeles, super hot, blazing hot, super hot, like blazing hot to the max. And I had a last minute quick audition and I took something in my trunk and put a coat over my head. I auditioned for the plosives not to go over my the mic for the peas to not plosive. I literally for Arco, not only did I book the job from an iPhone in a rush, but they used that audio for the piece. I didn't have to then go into a studio or to my studio and re-record it. They just sent the check. So you just you just never know. You just never know. No. <laughs> it's so wild. You just never know. And then so I have another technical geeky question for the actor here, right? For like this is for the actor because mm-hmm. it's always like a thing that I hear about and that people blog about and stuff. So when they're auditioning, right? And at me, when I'm auditioning, when we're auditioning for voiceovers, it's different when you're reading like on screen because the, the person line reads with you. But when you're doing the voiceovers, mm-hmm. you hear it in your head, you're reading it or you know the scene, you did the preparation where you're just going through the emotional experiencing. Pause. Now, but each moment is its own moment. How much lull period do you like in between each thing? Do you, When you listen to it, do you listen to it from the actor's perspective, linear all the way through? Or do you like that little bit of a pause and a lull so you can then hear the other actor's line, one, verbally, two, in your own head, or just a little 
space so you as the director can feel that moment of what the actor just went through before chopping to the next mm. or do you like them like so tight like one after another like yeah no I, I i actually love it when someone reads against the scene partner which i know obviously is more work and you have to find someone who's going to read with you but like that tends to result in in an audition that sounds sort of more authentic to how we sense you'll you'll interpret the material uh when we're actually doing it and if that's not possible then i definitely would leave the space the spaces in there naturalistically because it, it can feel very disjointed if it's like here's a line and here's a line and here's a line and here's a line because that makes it harder to sort of like see because uh, there's definitely yeah there's definitely it's like it's so hard for both parties involved in this kind of process because you're trying to like the director is trying to see how the show will be the actor's trying to do the same thing and so having it play out where it feels like the pacing that feels correct to you, that even though it's just literally empty space, perhaps, is telling us a little bit of a sense of your personal dramatic pacing. So I think that's very, because, yeah, so I think it's important to leave some lull spaces there so it leaves that imagination, kind of like what we were sharing earlier of like, when you're listening to audio, you close your eyes and we fill in the spaces. So for a voiceover actor, maybe to leave that space so then the director has that time to fill it up because if you don't, you're just on to the next. So I didn't know if you're like listening and just listening all the way through to hear to go on this journey but i think actually leaving those uh, like lulls in between are important because i didn't know on the other side if the director's like hurry up twiddling their thumb you know if 200 people submit i'm listening to all 200 to the end i feel like you took the you know you did it. You you went through the effort. I should go through the effort. So um, there may be other directors and producers who do things differently, but I I give you the respect of listening to the whole audition. The whole audition, because there's many people that say they give your best because they listen to the first three to seven seconds or like, you know, something like that. And they don't get to the end. It never hurts to hook someone in the first 10 seconds. I mean, we think about this a lot in podcasts is uh, you can go once once you've hooked someone like a cold open is like everything, because once you've hooked someone, the and, and this and the data shows this like that if someone listens to like the first minute like the likelihood they listen to the rest is up like a thousand percent so both things are true like you you may yeah like it, it for sure i want to hear to the audition where i hear the first 10 seconds and i want to hear the next 10 seconds i want to hear the next 10 seconds after that that is also true yeah yeah so you're doing 20 plus audios per year at realm thereabouts uh, <laughs> yeah now how many people are on your team is it different every time the same team like what's the vibes yeah at present we have a head count uh, seven or so there's me a couple of the producers we have a composer music supervisor sound designer editor uh, production manager and production coordinator so we have like a whole like a whole department and so we have people who kind of had handle all the like you know the sag administration and the like coming up with schedules and you know all the logistics that are involved and then we have a complete post-production unit um you know building out the actual show as well as producers who do a whole range of things including off directing and then yeah and then we can build out other teams um you know i i know you know always am meeting, connecting with other sound professionals on a range of skills, editors, sound designers, composers, other people who have uh, Dolby mixers, etc. So it kind of depends on the show and, and the timeline. And, you know, we have an awesome team in-house at Realm, but the people that I like to work with have a combination of just really getting the art form, having a lot of passion around it, and just being nice people to work with. Because, you know, when you're dealing in an industry that's fast-paced and intense, you want to be at the end of the day, be like, whew! 
that was crazy. Let's go like hang out and talk about how crazy it was. You don't want to be like, oh my God, these people. Like that's just not the vibe. Yeah. So do you work on one project at a time or do you work on multiple projects at one time throughout the day? Because everything goes in a rotation. There's so many elements to it. Like how's your workflow? Yeah, I'd say there's like a lot of, you know, irons in the fire at different levels of fire <laughs> like uh like yeah we did like blood forest last year i had just come off the set of harley quinn within two weeks um spinning around and going into production on blood forest after blood forest um you know there's a totally different team doing a lot of the post-production on harley quinn so i was like obviously very close to that team making sure things were going smoothly but i was like most i was very hands-on because i had directed blood forest on like going through all the takes working with the sound designer working with the composer while at the same time we're talking about hey 2023 what's going to be happening in 2023 so it's kind of like there's just like life cycles of projects so yeah and and that's kind of the moment now where we had a little bit of time to kind of get our regroup lay of the land and uh, there's a show that goes into production next week there's a show that goes into production maybe two three weeks after that and with a bit of luck kind of keeps keeps on chugging um yeah i personally um you know i've auditioned for podcasts audios but since blood forest there's been many more that have popped up like many more and from the same casting directors too, a couple of them so i think it's really exciting and and a lot of fun and so you're doing your what you're doing and then when it's out you're on to the next project so like while mark Getting and people are promoting it like your work's done and you're already on to the next project right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's true it's true and uh sometimes you're like I wish podcasts had the big had the big event. Um, and and it, you, you don't you don't. I, I will say I did I did get a promo of Blood Forest to uh, run as a trailer at a horror film fest here in Maine in October, like the opening week, and that felt really nice because like yeah, you don't have that like that feeling if you work in a film and it's like opening night and we all show up in nice clothes and or virtual clothes. No podcasts are like zoom 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 zoom. Yeah, yeah. we need to have like virtual events then. Yeah, no, I, I've done it a few times. I did that um they didn't do it on blood forest did it i was well, so i worked on a show elf quest which was wonderful fun uh iconic uh 1970s um to this day uh independently owned comic series worked with the creators really wonderful fan base uh one of those comics that really is trying to define fantasy in a sort of non-tolkien way uh you know wendy peeney one of the creators is like such a pioneering force in comics and just so loved and so ahead of her time and we did listening parties for that um because it was it was actually supported by kickstarter backers so like the Early on in the days of how we were going to get this project off the ground, we said, well, why don't we go to the fans? The fans, if they love it, they'll show up. And they did. And what the way of thanking the fans as well as celebrating the work was to have these like private listening parties. And we, yeah, we had hundreds of people come in on Zoom. We'd like get on, talk about uh, me and my other producer about kind of like what's going to experience now. We'd bring in some of the cast to ha- and um, have a little chat at the top play the episode, do a little talk, Q&A at the end, uh, take questions from the audience. Um, the audience had like a Discord where they could like, uh, you know, comment in real time. And it was, it was terrific fun. It was, it was, it, it felt like, oh, this is how you can turn a podcast into like a launch event. So yeah, that was a good experience for sure. Very cool. So when you're doing 20, you know, plus per year, I mean, that's a lot. So, but then you have the writing aspect and the directing aspect. Like how is your process with that, with doing the audio as well? You know, cause you have your you're writing it and then you're casting it and then you're listening to the vo 
talent? Like, how do you rotate all that personally? And like, how do you work with teams to help you vet certain things out? Like, do you do the majority of what you can do? And then when you get to a certain point, then you extend it to your teammates or, Mm -hmm. you know, even in your, your personal friendships for their opinions, like when you're doing independent projects of your own as a writer and director? Yeah. So uh, yeah, those are sort of two versions. There's like, there's like how Fred, Fred Fred did things prior to Realm and there's the wonderful, uh, awesome experience I could have now being part of a larger team. Blood Forest, I was able to like essentially act like a television showrunner. So I had had the idea. I pitched it internally to Realm. um, Like, hey, we should have another Halloween show. And luckily people agreed. And then I built out a writer's team. They're all also based in Maine. We did a weekend workshop. Like I had a I had a pretty good idea. Um, I, I sort of had the premise. I knew the town of Langley. I knew maybe a couple of the characters. But in the course of a weekend, we had plotted out the whole thing. And then it was up to, uh, th- we plotted out the whole thing. Ah. And then we, yeah, then it was like a crazy fast writing process. We had a team of four, two writers wrote a whole first season. And then the second two writers rewrote, you know, kind of polished it. And then I polished it. And then we had the recording script. Um, and yeah, and I, and I stayed intimately involved throughout. Once we finished recording it, you know, gave the whole project to an editor. The editor would send me back rough cuts, I would personally sit in Pro Tools and sort of finish editing it to where it was like just how I wanted it. And then it would go to a sound designer. Uh, other projects, I'm much less involved. I'm not not less involved, but I'm not quite so hands-on. And so I'm kind of more like assembling a team, making sure that team has what they need, offering you know creative feedback or other types of feedback as needed to support them. And if you're the version of reality where you kind of want to get one of these off the ground yourself and you're saying, well, Fred, this sounds cool, but I'm not part of a company like Realm. What do I do? I have a, a free resource on my website, finalrune.com. Um, that's learn audio fiction with Fred. So what, one of the things I did when the pandemic first happened was like, uh, well, I had actually been booked to go do a voice, uh, do a court, uh, like a weekend workshop with my alma mater here in Maine. And of course that got canceled. Uh, and so I'm like, well, what if I just do this online? And I did. And then like a hundred people signed up over the course of, it was like a five week course and it was fun. All, all the students kind of became mini pot mini companies or mini groups and they all made actual works in this five weeks. And so you go there now on the website, you can sit through the course, you can see what the students came up with. And it's, you know, you can do this any number of ways. You can do this kind of on your own. I think it's more fun with friends, but the process, what I always say is just go make something. Cause there's a lot of people I, you know, I mean, I probably talk to a dozen aspiring podcasters a week and there's such a like sense of like, I have to be validated by this, like somebody before I can start. And for me, I'm like, I never was that. I, I kind of, that's kind of why early in my career, when I sort of grasped how hard it would be to break through to publishing, I'm like, well, I'm just going to start a podcast because no one can keep me from, you know, people cannot publish my book, but no one can not let me put out a podcast. And so that's still the mentality, you know, 15 years later. And to me, frankly, I don't think anyone at Realm cares where I went to school or anything like that. But all the work I had done on my own, like hanging up the posters around campus, you know, making it, figuring out how to make sounds work, doing all that for a long period of time is what was like, that was my resume. It's like, oh, you have, not only you have all these skills, but you also have that, that hustle to like make something on your own. And so whenever I meet someone like that, like anyone, like literally anyone who has made a podcast, like you have my respect because even the simplest podcast is hard. Yo, 
right here, we're in the top 1.5% out of almost 4 million podcasts. So thank you. I, I'm t- I, I received this. And because of the person tuning in, listening and watching, it's because of you that I thrive, I show up and that we're like pretty close to the moon right now. We're like pretty close to the moon. So <laughs> there's a whole strategy. There's so many elements. Hi. Hey, beautiful. Oh, thank you. We got a gift on the show. All right. Love that. Speaking of gifts, we're giving gifts away every single episode. Definitely go to the show notes, put it in the topic, Fred, something something that you learned, something entertaining, anything you want at all. We're giving giveaways. No matter, It's evergreen. So no matter if you hear this from a year from now, you can still enter the giveaway. The link is in the show notes below and you could win something. It's a prize. So you never know what you could win, but we're giving giveaways every single episode, which is really exciting. Speaking of Fred, where can everyone um, contact you? I'll have it in the show notes, but what are some ways people can reach out to you and follow you? Yeah, my person, well, so final rune, F-I-N-A, L-R-U-N-E. So that's my Twitter, Instagram, uh, my website, personal website, finalrune.com. That's where you'll find uh, the the course of, of learning audio fiction. If you want to follow what I'm up to with Realm, we're Realm, like Realm of Possibility, uh, realm.fm. Or if you look on podcasts, check, you know, lots of cool stuff we've made. Harley Quinn and the Joker on Spotify. I mean, I've, I've done like six shows on, on Realm, but you can also check out Undertow. Just look for Undertow wherever you get podcasts and you can hear this crazy show that you were in yeah. Blood Force is season two of Undertow. Alex Keys, Keys to the Truth. Keys to the Truth. I'll have it in the show notes. So while, since the Joker came up in Harley Quinn, my favorite, I love it all. I love it all. The sound, the acoustics, the voices, everything is so good. But Marbles, oh my God, that episode is just like, oh, just like it's, it's so good. What's one of your favorite parts that you liked working on or the sound or like a, a moment or two that was really like, you you know, epic for you. That was just a show where everybody brought their A game. Like I, like uh, for me, you know, being able to be on set with Christina Ricci, like, come on, like, uh, and everybody just was so great. And um, Eli Horowitz, the director, you know, from Homecoming, you know, one of the few podcast fiction podcasts that really broke through the mainstream, you know, got a television adaptation. And it's just, it was just brilliant uh, working with him and seeing just, just like, just, it's like, you're just being on a professional sports team and you're like, we're just playing baseball here but we're playing our game we're playing at such a level it's like it was just so much fun throughout so that's it it's just just a sense of like pinch pinch myself is this happening do i get to do this you know you get to a point where like live it enjoy it all you got to do is like be your best self and not think too hard about about it all and be grateful because uh yeah not everyone gets to play make-believe on a professional level but it can be done yeah but not only the story so cool the sound the quality the audio like kudos to you i mean yeah we put it there thank you a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot of thought went into it of like what does arkham asylum sound like and how does it not sound like anything we've ever heard before and what you know weird dark grinding sound like uh, yeah uh, when i was out there in la during the recordings i would go out and just say you just go check out la and there was there was definitely a moment where i was like somewhere out in burbank and there was this like i can't believe i'm gonna say this like a dark alleyway <gasps> and there's like this sound like and i'm like frederick are you really gonna like walk down a dark alleyway in los angeles right now to click the sound i'm like i really hope this is not the beginning of a horror movie but i did it 
I did it. I recorded the sound. Um, and it was a really good sound, and it's in the show. So <laughs> that's my story. Which episode? I don't know off the top of my head, but it's it's in the asylum. It's part of the texture of, of the asylum. Okay. There's, a, there's some some good some good uh, hospital uh, sounds in that show. No joke. When I listened to it, I couldn't believe it was over, and I was going to listen to it right then and there. And then all of a sudden, I started looking up like everyone on the show and retweeting it and letting everyone do yourself a favor or listen to it right now. So like, I wanted to instantaneously like listen to it again. It's like it's so therapeutic. It like it just it really takes you out of your quote unquote every everyday world mm. or like turning on music or turning on a podcast episode it's re- or like even watching a movie it's like this ex- immersive experience in a whole new way that i've never experienced and i've consumed a lot of content so i'm like very yes. bullet we did our job we did our job i mean that's how we want it to be is it, like we want it to be the way i think of sound design is it's like if you notice the design we tried too hard we just want you to like get on the merry-go-round and go and then you're like yeah you're like <gasps> Wait, is the ride over? <laughs> yeah, uh, let's go get back on. It's exactly what happened. I'm like, is it over? And I'm, yeah. anyways, I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna keep listening to it. It's therapeutic. It's so yeah. therapeutic in the weirdest way. Which, which is funny because uh, uh, Harleen Quinzel is in fact uh, a therapist in that show. I think I don't think that's a spoiler. We learned that in like the first scene. So I love that. <laughs> so good. Wow, life really takes its course. I know you're super busy. I'm so grateful for you in so many ways. You're welcome. Welcome back on the show anytime, anytime. Oh, honing it in. Mm. One, two, three things for an upcomer who maybe an, an audiobook, a YouTube, a podcast, a, a book for educational purposes. Cause like, you know, 1998 is different, 2000 is different. In 2023, somewhere for educational purposes to pivot into um, learning the, the craft of your profession. Uh, one or two things maybe you could tell the listener. Yeah. Um, you know, not to keep pitching my course, but check it out. Finalroom.com. It says learn audio fiction with fred and you will learn uh, i make no secrets of my tricks if you are going to record your own stuff of the like entry level mics uh i like the rode nt usb it's like of like the 200 or less mics that's a good one you should have like a closet or something uh we definitely hear performers who make a go of it in like big cavernous rooms and so so i think yeah i often see a lot of newbies think they need like the most expensive microphone you can buy and it's far more important to have a good quiet room uh so so work on your space first and i and your space means both physically is it like acoustically protected is it reasonably quiet but also like are you your fullest self in that space like add, add like yeah i don't know a piece of art or like uh, an incense or like whatever makes you like your most true human self because i don't know there's probably parts there's parts of the business out there that are probably terrible but i i managed to like be with like positive cool you know nice people and have had made a career of it so i i think like you being your like authentic self and presenting that way is what you need to be doing and so your space should make you feel like that it's a little bit like going back to virginia wolf and like a room of one's own like just go uh and i think you need to have it because like especially in this whole pandemic era where we've like kind of been trapped inside and not have all the access to the world, like to kind of keep your sanity, you do need to have like, this is the part of like my dwelling. That's like my creative space. And it's like my little shrine to my, you know, whether, whether yeah. you, however you define creativity, you, you need that. And I think if you have that and you have like the courage to like follow your heart and not, and, and be able to separate uh, your sense of worth from rejection. Cause that's like, I will tell you, if you don't book a gig, it has nothing to 
do with whether or not you're ins insanely talented. It has to do with a hundred thousand things, which you have no control over, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's just like trying to be persistent and to say a rejection is just an opportunity to go again and to say, you know, the only thing, the only mistake is to like stop trying. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, my voiceover booth over there, I, I have an icon that my yaya, my grandmother gave me, my 93-year-old my best friend. It's wow. um just an icon and it's sacred and it's right above my head when I'm recording my voiceovers and to personalize it, to make it sacred. I think it's really, really important. And here we're doing the podcast. So if anyone's on the video, like I made it like a studio podcast. It's different, you know, so yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's different, different for everyone. Every, every moment, every situation is different, just like us, like our emotions are always changing. Mm -hmm. Things are always changing. Nothing's ever set in stone. Like this is the way it needs to be. You can pivot and shift. So thank you, Fred, for your moments and sharing and caring. And I really appreciate you. Everyone, if you haven't tuned into Undertow Blood Forest, please do. And I'll have um, it in the show notes so you can stream it and uh, listen to our geniuses together. It was a, this was a blast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure, my pleasure. Okay, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Kiriaki, over and out. <laughs>